0: Hey now. We are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data. With episode 244 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We will get to that in a moment. We have a loaded show for you today, a mixture of good and bad and a little ugly certainly as well Uh, we will be talking about aew dynamite and rampage as we lead into the special winter is coming show next week we're also going to talk about nxt and johnny gargano's farewell is it from nxt is it from wwe that is to be determined we'll discuss that in a little bit and we will be kicking off the show with some unfortunate news wwe releasing jeff hardy uh, we will get to the details of that in a moment. I do want to bring in Vintage Chris Benini. Chris, welcome to the show. We promised your return this week, and you absolutely delivered. Unfortunately, today is not under the best of circumstances that we will be talking in terms of the Hardy release in particular. Uh, but look, let's start the show on a positive. Note, okay, I already played it once. I'm going to play it again. She's got me saying, hey now. We got a hey now from LA Night on NXT. First of all. I know you don't normally watch NXT, so it didn't pop you the way it popped me to just be watching the show and to hear that. And I can't help but kind of put two and two together a little bit. I'm not saying LA Knight listens to the show. I'm not saying he doesn't. But the same week, days after, I tell you I'm finally coming around to LA Knight. He goes on NXT and drops our signature (laughs) line on the show. Maybe it's a pure coincidence. Look, people have said hey now in the past. I certainly got hey now from two very distinguished gentlemen, if I do say so. But Chris, I mean, I I sent you the video clip. What do you think about this whole thing?
1: I think it's possible. And I, uh, you know, I I was glad you came around on L.A. Night uh, a a bit after I stumped for him for a bit. Um, and, and maybe he returned the favor. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. We're just saying it's an awful, co- awful coincidence that he's dropping Awfully the hand did, out yeah. right after right after the Silver King uh, kind of turns the corner on him. So L.A. Knight, come on getting over. Uh, let's hash this yeah.
0: out. I, we're going to get him on the show. That is an interview I can achieve. Um, but yeah, slide in the DMs, dude. Like if, if you listen and it happens to have been not a coincidence, slide in the DMs. Let me know. Uh, Chris, on that note, like before we move on with this whole show, we get serious in a moment. Do you, by the way, know what "Hey Now" is from? Why I say it to start the show? I I, I don't, but I
1: I guarantee of you when don't. you say it, I'm probably going to remember it.
0: Of course, no, I don't. I don't. Know it's one you. of
1: those things that becomes kind of a thing people say forever and ever, and you kind of forget where it started. It it may be
0: one of those. So lay it on me. So okay, so the the genesis of it, and I will not go long on this. Um, it actually comes from. One of the best sitcoms of all time, which is the Larry Sanders show that aired on HBO. Uh, There was a character on the show, Hank Kingsley. He was the co-host, actually, of the show. Uh, He was I don't know what you necessarily call that person that sits in the chair, the Andy Richter, um, you know, by comparison. But he was he sits in the show or he sits in the chair next to Larry Sanders, who's Gary Shandling, the host of the show. And his signature line is, hey, now, and that's just to kind of get things over. So when I decided to do Getting Over, Hey Now made a lot of sense. The second reason for it is Hey Now was so funny and they made so many jokes about it. It's such a big part of the Larry Sanders show, which by the way, it's an HBO show. It's on HBO Max. It went from 92 to 98. If you have not seen that show, I'm sure you have HBO Max. Please watch it. It is downright hysterical. But it was so big and so funny that Howard Stern co-opted it and uses it as the introduction for his radio show, and that's why that's, right, that's why I remember it. And as someone who grew up in the nineties, I was a and still am a massive Howard Stern fan. So it's both the getting over element of what Hank did on the Larry Sanders show, and it's an homage to Howard Stern. That is why I do hey now on the show. In case people were wondering, and I think there probably are people who didn't know why I did it. So uh, L.A. Knight, thank you, Eli Drake, whatever your real name is. Uh, thank you for. Uh, giving me the entree, the ability to kind of explain that to everyone at the start of the show. And I love um, that he did it on NXT and we now have a permanent sound drop. I wish it was a bit clearer, but it's nevertheless a good way to start the show. So, Chris, uh, look, we got some stuff to talk about here. A reminder really quickly before we get into it. The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. is all about defy. So please, folks, stop making me asking. stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Stop making me ask is what I meant. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know why you love this show. Tell them why they should listen. We will read the five-star reviews that you leave us on this podcast. Also, please do not forget, to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We release episodes. You guys can slide in DMs, send tweets, participate in polls. There's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting. Overcast. Okay. So Chris, look, let's get into the show. Um, I don't even really have notes on this right now, but news came down just before we taped today that WWE has released Jeff Hardy. Now I should note, this is not official. WWE has not sent out a release about it. They haven't, you know, wished him well in his future endeavors, nothing like that. But as of right now, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful is reporting that Jeff Hardy has been released, but Jeff Hardy was not released simply because it was another one of WWE's releases, according to uh, Sean. Uh, he heard that WWE offered Jeff Hardy help and the, you know, like they always do with superstars to pay for rehabilitation. He chose not to accept it and therefore WWE released him. Uh, this comes days after we talked about Hardy's strange disappearance from a WWE live show. Uh, it also comes like two weeks after his brother, Matt Hardy, sent a tweet in which he was just praising Jeff up and down for the way he's turned his life around and being clean and being a good brother and all that type of stuff. Um, You know, there's been some uh, thoughts that have come out already from wrestlers. Big E tweeted, Jeff Hardy is so beloved by his fans and peers. I've never heard a negative word about him, and he's always treated me with such kindness, just wishing him and his family the very best there's some others from, uh, you know, people that aren't as important uh, as Biggie, but very kind words there from Biggie. And, you know, this is a difficult situation, Chris. Um, It comes at a time we were just recently on this show talking about the reaction that Jeff Hardy got at Survivor Series and how, man, wouldn't it be great if they brought him back into the main event picture? And wow, you know if they didn't do the Brock Lesnar thing, even though we know that they're going to do it, Roman Reigns versus Jeff Hardy is a match that could main event a WrestleMania. That is how much fans and casual fans like him. And if it's not Mania, it could have main evented Royal Rumble or been the Universal Championship match at Royal Rumble. And we were just kind of talking about how much this guy's loved, um, how much respect fans, fellow wrestlers, all these people have for him. Over the last year, we've kind of gone back and forth about Jeff. He's, he's had really good moments in WWE. There's been other times where you can really tell he's slowed down and his, his body is really getting to him. We just spoke. Uh, we were talking about age of wrestlers recently, and we were going over how old he is compared to some others. And he's in his 40s, but he's been wrestling since he's 16 years old. So in addition to any addiction problems and drug problems or alcohol problems, anything he had in his past. This is a guy whose body is legitimately battered and beaten from an entire career of punishment. And he's not a safe wrestler. You know, he's someone who took massive risks, obviously, the TLC matches and and the like that he did. So this is a really unique and um, sad situation. You know, I think the first comment from me, and I'm sure you'll share the same uh, sentiments here, is that I hope he's doing well and I hope if he is facing a demon or a problem I hope you, you know, recovers from it and is able to get his life in order and not worry about wrestling. One of the responses I saw from shockingly most people uh, when this stuff came out is, oh, my God, it's going to be great when he's in AEW. He shouldn't be wrestling anywhere if something is going on personally, personally with him right now. Uh, Goal number one is get healthy. um, Get your mind right. uh, Get back to the headspace that you were in uh, throughout your latest WWE run where he was getting praised for doing such a good job. And then section two of that is a year from now, maybe, or two years from now, or however long, does it make sense for him to return to wrestling? And if so, where does he do it? And that's a conversation that we'll have hopefully months or years down the line. Um, We don't know the specifics, so I don't want to say it was drug related. I don't know whether it was drug related. It could have just been uh, something in his head, or it could have been physical, or who the hell knows. But clearly something has happened here because WWE is not going to just go and release Jeff Hardy. They ha- they just re-signed him. He signed a new deal. Um, they've supported him throughout his entire career until that one moment where they couldn't. It's Very similar to Kurt Angle. They supported him throughout his entire career until Kurt refused to get help. And that's when they released him and he went over to TNA. So this unfortunately seems to be like another one of those uh, unfortunate, to not to repeat myself, steps Uh, or levels in Hardy's life and career. And my hope is just that he comes back from it stronger than he was before.
1: Yeah. Sean Ross said he didn't know if it was drug, didn't know if it was alcohol, didn't know the specifics of a lot of what kind of help was offered. Um, Just the bare basics of he was offered help in rehab and it was not accepted. We don't know. We're not going to speculate on that, but it's just, it's just freaking sad. I mean, a guy who's been through so much, who's largely been used as a crash test dummy for 25 years uh, of wrestling um, and, and to still be where he's at physically in the ring. I mean, like we said, he was still incredibly fun to watch and everything, but uh, you just hope you, you hope this is can can, can be a positive step uh, of some kind you know, I saw some people on Twitter who said they know addicts who, you know, refused help because they they needed to do it themselves. They'd mm-hmm. been to rehab too many times; it didn't it didn't help anymore. I I don't know. I'm just hoping and praying it's could be one of those situations. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just just a guy who's been through so much, has battled demons for 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 so long, um, and and continues to, and it's incredibly difficult. And we just we all hope and pray that um. You know, he can get things uh, back in order just for the sake of him uh, and his family.
0: Yeah. So I'm someone who, um, you know, personally hasn't struggled with this. And uh, luckily in my life, none of my family or friends have. So I am speaking to this from not a position of ignorance, but just a lack of experience. Um, But the way I understand it is that these demons, these issues, they never necessarily go away. It's about managing them day in and day out and figuring out a way to kind of get on with your life um, and and keeping up that fight, that struggle every single day. And therefore, it's not a failure of him as a person um, if it is a relapse or if it is uh, something where he stepped out of this great world that he had created for himself over the last couple of years. It's it's not a failure of a character or or an individual or a human. It's simply that struggle popping itself up again. So... Um, yeah, just to kind of clarify a couple of things that I said earlier, he did sign a two year contract with WWE in September 2020. So obviously he had through, you know, like almost nearly another year left on his contract and that show that I talked about where he was sent home from, that was this Sunday, uh, on December 5th. So this was a very quick turn from getting sent home from a show. Uh, Matt recently, uh, his brother tweeted that he was home and doing Okay that was like the follow up to um the only the only news that we've heard since we initially discussed it on the show and now we know he's released just a couple of days later so that is the story uh, of Jeff Hardy being released by WWE as of right now certainly if there is more to discuss uh chances are it'll be held for our next show which is coming up on Tuesday our WWE edition um you know it would have to be something truly shocking for us to do a instant analysis or a news reaction type of show but We wish Jeff Hardy the best. We hope that if if applicable, uh, he gets a speedy recovery and gets whatever help he may need. Um, But no matter what, his health and his life and his children and his wife and all that are uh, far more important than wrestling. And if your focus is where he's going to be next. uh, Yeah. Let's just make sure he gets his life together first. That's what I would say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I. Can't speak to how WWE is handling it or not. We don't know the details, and I don't want to speculate onto, onto those details.
0: Okay, so Chris is going to depart for just a little bit. He will be back in a few moments to talk AEW. First, we're going to go over this week's NXT show, just because there was some really, really big news in the main event of the show. Uh, just a reminder uh, for new listeners of the podcast: all of our episodes are timestamped. So if you're not an NXT viewer, all you need to do is hop into our episode description. Find out when the AEW timestamp is. You can jump to that. You can jump to both. You can do whatever the hell you want. Um, But timestamps in every single episode here of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. As I said, we're going to talk NXT before AEW. And the main event of the show was Johnny Gargano addressing his future. Gargano came out. He hugged Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis early in the show and kissed Candice LeRae and their dog before the main event. He came out in the main event. He looked like he was going to cry like as soon as his entrance hit. There were tons of different chants for him from the crowd, really trying to get him over, honestly trying to get themselves over a little bit as well. Gargano said heartbreak would let him go as long as he wanted. This did, uh, not only did it end the show, it went into an overrun. So that is true. He went as long as he wanted. I popped for him calling Shawn Michaels heartbreak. It's pretty funny. Uh, he said he wished that he enjoyed the last six years more and wasn't in his own head so much. He always doubted himself his entire time in NXT. Gargano talked about, NXT fans saving his career, NXT being the only place he's ever felt special and important, truly loving NXT, and everyone being family behind the scenes. The key phrases here were, quote, change is scary, but sometimes it needs to happen. Quote, you will never fail if you bet on yourself. And quote, I don't know what my immediate future holds. That's still up in the air. I may do some things here and there. And then he talked about being a father starting up in February when Candice is due, when their baby is due. After that, Grayson Waller uh, attacked him from behind with a chair, wrapped Gargano's neck in the chair, threw him into the steel steps, and powerbombed him through an announce table, all while talking a lot of shit. And the attack did get a load of heat. Like, the crowd really was all over Waller here. So it was a very good heel moment for Waller, and it was a good NXT send off at a minimum for Gargano. But we're left to wonder, what does all of this mean? And I would be lying if I told you that I knew for sure. I really don't. I don't think anyone really does. I maintain, though, what I have said time and again on this podcast. I honestly believe it would be a mistake for him to go to AEW. And it's not that fans wouldn't love him, but they are absolutely overloaded. And they're already seemingly going to bring in another half dozen people. Gargano is incredibly over in the WWE world, and he could slot into a Daniel Bryan role on the main roster like that, like in a snap. It's hard for me to believe he feels the way he said he feels about NXT, the people there, and then would just go to AEW for reasons. Like, I don't know specifically what about AEW would draw him over there. Just the freedom to wrestle, maybe? I could see that. But a lot of those people, even people that were never in WWE, he's already wrestled in his career. So it's not like, it's this new thing like it would be for Daniel Bryan where he gets all these new opponents and Daniel Bryan has been in WWE on the main roster for a decade and, and he needs a, a new like breath and a life for his career. For me, Gargano going to the main roster pre- prevents presents, I should say, I'm sorry, so many opportunities for him and for WWE and I have to believe they're making him a really good offer. Now, I suppose the most likely situation in terms of what's going to happen immediately, is that he does absolutely nothing for a while. Or if he does, maybe it's some independent stuff. Like he goes over to PWG and is in the battle for Los Angeles until Candice gives birth. Like he said, here and there, quote unquote. So I can only guess. And my guess, I just have to think he shows up in WWE whenever he does return to wrestling full-time. I would personally definitely be disappointed to just see him be another work-rate babyface in an AEW company that has so many work-rate babyfaces. WWE on the main roster? They really don't have that right now. That is a role he could take. But either way, no matter what he decides, Gargano is on the NXT Mount Rushmore when all is said and done. He's the most over male babyface in brand history, and he's been involved in many of the brand's best ever matches. It was a legendary run. No matter how you slice it, Johnny Gargano is going to be missed from NXT. The question is, is he going to be missed from WWE as a whole? Uh, we will certainly find out about that. So let's move on to the rest of the show. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly fought Von Wagner in a steel cage. This opened it. Kyle attacked Vaughn during the entrance. The crowd was completely behind O'Reilly, of course. O'Reilly banged Wagner's head off the cage and hit a flying knee. But Wagner kicked out at like 2.3. Then Wagner blatantly low O'Reilly, threw him into the cage twice, and hit his double underhook twisting neckbreaker for the win as the crowd booed him loudly. Wagner then hung him in the tree of woe and slammed the cage door into his face three times. Wagner later said his war has just begun. Look, we knew what this was going to be, right? Uh, O'Reilly's contract is expiring. He's almost certainly off to AEW. I presume he's going to debut at Winter is Coming. Wagner is not necessarily bad in the ring, but nothing about him is exciting. He's just void of charisma, and he has a really bad look. I wish O'Reilly had put over someone who could have really been elevated by it, in terms of a send-off match, this was a downer for that reason. But kudos to Kyle for going out on his back and the proverbial, don't let the door hit you on the way ass, which is kind of what they did with the steel cage door. That was kind of a fun nod, so I did enjoy that. On a side note, it is kind of wild at this point how NXT has actually wound up being a performance center for AEW instead of WWE. All of these guys, O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Malachi Black, Andrade Alidolo, many, many more, Ty Conti, uh, they all learned how to work TV as a wrestler from WWE and they just wind up in AEW and they get to fl- flourish over there with it. It is absolutely crazy how that happens. Uh, Braun Breaker said he respected the NXT veterans and Team Black and Gold, but called out Tommaso Champa, saying they're one and one now and he wanted another NXT title match. Malcolm Bivens and Diamond Mine interrupted, saying Roderick Strong was one of those veterans who had his sights set on Braun. He got pissed and accepted a challenge for next week. Bivens was confronted by Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams later, with them saying Strong and his title don't matter because Melo is the A champion. So it feels like Braun challenges Champa literally every single episode. I assume they'll run it back at New Year's Evil, which was announced for a few weeks. So I like that Strong is stepping up here. But it's clear that Braun is just going to go and beat a champion in Strong, even if he's out of his weight class. Strong and Champa working... With all these rookies, that's the point of NXT. That's of what they're trying to do now. I do think Strong and Braun Breaker is going to bang because we've already seen Braun can really hold his own against Champa and in the War Games match. Strong is just as good, some would say, better than Champa in the ring. So that's going to be really, really good. I'm just questioning the logistics of the entire thing. What are they going to do? There's also talk about the Cruiserweight title. We'll get to that in a second. So Joe Gacy announced in a tape promo that Harlan will be making his in-ring debut next week and that together they can change the world. He implied that he was working on changing the name of 205 Live, which if that's what he was saying, I think it was what he was saying, that's long overdue. I forgot to note that Bivens basically said Strong was going to open up the Cruiserweight title to other challengers. So maybe they're going to make it like an Evolve title on an NXT Evolve show or something like that. It would make a lot of sense for me to go in that direction with the title And with that extra show, because right now I can't even I don't even know who still watches 205 Live. Like there was a short period of time I did, but it's been a long time since. Uh, The Creed brothers fought Briggs and Jensen. Grizzled young veterans were on commentary with Imperium watching from the lift. GYV pulled the tag rope off the turnbuckles so Briggs couldn't grab it to tag in. Despite that, Jensen wound up catching Brutus Creed with a sitting pinfall. And I just thought this whole segment was like awful. Honestly, Uh, the wrestling was bad with the exception of one moment where the creeds took turns kneeing Jensen in the chest. But the idea of removing the tag rope, negating a tag when they're not used consistently in the first place was just bad. For me, all of it. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarsky. Backstage jacket time, tease GYV as Casey Cantanzaro and Caden Carter gave concert tickets to Briggs and Jensen. Then Karen Q popped up with a blanket and a pillow after being woken up. I have no idea what her gimmick is, but it does make me smile. And I'm kind of curious. Like, is she this person who's like all sleepy and tired all the time? But then the bell rings and it wakes her up. Like, I don't know what the gimmick is going to be. I'm legitimately curious. So let's see what they do there. Uh, Duke Hudson hit the ring in an awful blonde wig, saying it was proof that Cameron Grimes didn't actually shave his head and that Grimes was a disappointment. Grimes came out and Hudson threw on headgear to lock the wig in place. Now they're going to have a no holds barred match to end the feud, I think, I hope, next week. It'll really suck if Grimes loses and they just do 50-50 booking. But I thought this segment was fun. It was classic wrestling absurdity and the wig, despite being terrible, was legitimately funny. It was hysterical. Uh, Grayson Waller, earlier in the show before what happened in the main event, he tried to pick up a girl who is wrestler Tesha Price in the parking lot, but she turned him down because she had a date with Ellie Knight who was waiting outside in the red Corvette. Knight talked a bunch of shit even dropped the Hey Now that you heard earlier in the show. But it good, but she's got saying, hey now! And again, it could be a total coincidence, but dude, if it wasn't, let's chat. Uh, Carmelo Hayes fought Dexter Loomis. This was pretty boring for the most part. I was actually surprised. Hayes countered silence, but then Loomis locked it in. Hayes was at the ropes when Trick Williams punched Loomis for the DQ. Trick then got locked into silence for a moment before it got broken up. This was very typical WWE booking with a DQ. Sometimes that's okay because you're excited for the match a second time. That's just not the case here. I think this was Melo's worst match in NXT so far. I really don't want to see them fight again. Later backstage, Persia Parada said she was glad Dexter is back so Indy Hartwell can focus because she needs her best friend and they need to succeed as a tag team in NXT. Indy said she's committed to Dexter and committed to the team, but as soon as Loomis walked in, she jumped into his arms and completely ignored Persia. So they're clearly building tension in a split here, That's weird to me, though, because number one, they're legitimately friends. Number two, they just got together on television. And number three, NXT needs women's tag teams if they're going to have a women's tag team title. So I don't quite get why they're creating animosity between them when they should be setting them up as a tag team. Uh, MSK finally met the Shaman. It was not Rob Van Dam. It was not Jeff Hardy. It was Riddle. They sat meditating and went over their early NXT careers with him saying they accomplished so much so fast, they wonder what's next. Riddle said they don't need to change and just decided to hang out with them. But what he really wanted was in their mystery bag. He opened it and he got really excited. And I'm really high. So look, on one hand, this was kind of disappointing. It would have been really cool to have RVD like in NXT for a run the same way they did the Million Dollar Man. On the other hand, Making a connection between NXT and the main roster, especially if it's semi-permanent, if we see Riddle show up there a couple times, that makes sense. And Riddle is obviously great in this role. He does make a lot of sense being a shaman for a couple other possible potheads, right? Weed smokers. Uh, What would be hysterical is if Riddle brought them to Raw one week and they were all having fun backstage and Randy Orton is like the father figure, couldn't stand it, almost like he had three kids. Uh, that this was the best of all the shaman things that they did, most of which I didn't find funny. So it was a positive step. Was it incredible? No, it wasn't incredible. Toxic Attraction fought Valentina Feroz and Ulisa Leon in a non-title match. Mandy Rose talked shit backstage. Before the match, Jane hit a rotating big boot for the win. Mandy talked more shit after the match, saying they will take on all challengers. Cora Jade came out with her arm in a sling, reminding Mandy that she beat her down and won in war games. Raquel Gonzalez brought a chair and had her back, her being Cora Jade, clearing the ring. Uh, Cora and Raquel were talking backstage later when Kaylee Ray gave her the green bat, saying Cora probably needs it more than she does. KLR said she's her own weapon. So my only takeaway here was that Mandy has shown improved confidence on the mic now that she's leading a faction, but her promos still really need work. And we just got to get KLR in the ring more. Like, these backstage segments, they're fine, but I wanted her to wrestle. That's the whole point. Now, Tiffany Stratton had another daddy's girl vignette showing her gymnastics training and qualifying for the 2016 Olympics. Tony D'Angelo said he was impressed with her video and then showed off the mouthpiece he stole from Pete Dunn. Andre Chase said if 2.0 had followed his lesson, they wouldn't have struggled as much in the match and D'Angelo challenged him for next week. I like that they gave D'Angelo both a short-term and long-term feud simultaneously. That's really good booking when you do something like that. Uh, a couple more things here. Santos Escobar fought Zion Quinn. Quinn did some shadow boxing while cutting a promo. Quinn dominated Escobar with his size, but kept looking at Electro Lopez getting distracted. He had a swinging Death Valley driver style type of move, but Escobar took him off the tippy top rope with a huge hurricanrana. Lopez put brass knucks on Quinn's hand when he was knocked out. Joaquin Wild pointed it out to the referee who saw it, got distracted, and then Escobar caught Quinn with a phantom driver for the clean one, two, three. I thought this was a nice piece of booking here. The viewer is able to question Electra's true motivations. It leaves the storyline open and it gave Escobar a clean win with his finisher. They just really need to elevate Escobar into the main event picture and stop messing around because he is so much better than this feud. He should be challenging for titles and putting on great matches. Uh, and then Boa called out Idris Anofe saying he will take him out as quickly as he entered NXT next week. It was pretty cool, short video with Zaya Lee up on the main roster. Mei Ying doing this new gimmick. I think it really made sense for them to transfer this whole thing over to Boa because he really had nothing else going for him. And it makes a lot more sense for Boa to have this on his own than for him and Mei Ying to do it together as a two-person group. It was three, that was okay. Two, didn't make any sense. One, hopefully with Boa is a little bit better, but I think his ceiling is only so high. So that was it this week in NXT. Not too much to chew on really other than the Johnny Gargano uh, addressing his future and Kyle O'Reilly's departure, pretty clear departure from NXT. Uh, they are building towards this New Year's Evil show, which is gonna be, I believe, January 4th, the, wet, the Tuesday after New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So that'll be certainly a fun show. Uh, last year, New Year's Evil was one of the best shows of the year. Obviously things are different now, but I am definitely looking forward to that. All right, so with NXT in the books, let us move on to AEW. We're gonna talk about Dynamite and Rampage combined. We're going to, you know, mush together segments that had to do with each other across both shows. And Chris, I don't know um, if you want to give like a little bit of an overview. I know you didn't necessarily get every detail of Rampage this week, but I got to tell you guys, uh, I thought Rampage, I'm shocked to even say this. I thought it was a terrible show. Like I I can't even remember the last time I thought an episode of AEW TV was just not good. Top to bottom. Rampage, I did not think was good. I'm not saying that There wasn't good wrestling on the show, but it was a slog to get through and neither match really finished or or was exciting uh, the way I expected it to be. And then Dynamite on Wednesday, I don't know. It just didn't hit me. Like I thought the opening segments and the final half hour were nails, like great stuff. But the middle of the show, uh, the middle hour, I guess you could put it, It was just a mess as far as I was concerned. I don't know if you agree with that, but I figured we'd give a little bit of an overview before we kind of got into talking about the shows themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, with with Dynamite, you know, we'll get into MJF and CM Punk and and how great that stuff was beginning and the end of the show. But the middle of it a lot was just kind of hectic. You've got a lot of multi-man tags and there's so much going on with so many different people. It's kind of hard to keep track of what's. All going on and why it all matters, and frankly, a lot of it all feels the same. Yeah, it it it, it, it it's it's kind of just people are fighting, and there's a lot of people involved, and those bits and pieces that stand out, but a lot of it is starting to kind of feel. I won't say formulaic, but it's kind of starting to kind of feel homogenous a bit, outside of a handful of things. Um, and and yeah, it's it's been this week, and I think last week were. Pretty rough TV rating wise for all of wrestling. Yes. You know, totally them, yeah. don't, don't totally know what's exactly behind that. But um, uh, an interesting way to close. I'm actually going to Dynamite next week. Winter is coming. It's here in Dallas. Oh, nice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. They've clearly built that up to be a pretty big show. Um, and so in that, if you view this Dynamite as the go home, it was kind of hit and miss.
0: I'm a little jealous that you're going to Winter is Coming, though they did announce that Revolution is going to be in Orlando uh, in March. Yes. Now, that's a three hour drive for me. So I I don't know if I can make it, but man, I kind of want to. It's going to probably depend on the card. Uh, but yeah, it it's the last two weeks have really been lackluster, given that this special Winter is Coming show is coming up. And I presume at this show we're going to have a couple debuts and that'll probably be what draws the headlines anyway. But Yeah, it's certainly strange um, that these shows haven't been better and that the middle of the show in particular wasn't booked a little bit better. But let's get to it. We'll break it down. You'll hear what we actually think uh, as we get into it. So the opening segment of Dynamite, to me, it was two different parts. There was a CM Punk part and an MJF part, and I felt completely different about both of them. So (laughs) let's let's start with the CM Punk part. So Dynamite opens, and the first thing we hear is MJF's music. And it makes sense because it's Long Island and MJF is going to come out first. But instead it's CM Punk who got booed in MJF's hometown. I loved that. The crowd, the mark of a great crowd is supporting the local wrestler, whether heel or face, not necessarily going by exactly what the company wants you to do. Punk shit on the Islanders like five times. He called MJF an incel. He tried to piss off the crowd the whole time. But for me, Everything felt repetitive and flat. It was like he said the same thing over and over and over. It was like missionary position. <laughs> it's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. And it, his promo really did feel like that. It was exceptionally boring. He called the crowd chicken shit. I actually think, and I don't even know how I would figure this out, I think it was one of CM Punk's worst promos ever. It's like, if he can't pop the crowd, then he just has no material. There were a handful of Islander jokes that, like, not even the Long Island crowd cared about. It's like, the first time, okay, you got us, but you don't need to say it six more times. It almost felt like he had a plan going in, and the crowd subverted his plan, and he didn't know how to recover from it. That's what I took from it. I just... I'm watching him in the in punk in the ring and I was like cringing. That's how much I didn't like it. It started off really
1: hot in the first Islanders joke about them not winning a game in the building. Nailed was them. terrific. Yeah. It, it was, he nailed it. It was really hot to start, but then, yeah, it just kind of dragged and he made like Four or five Islander jokes. He made the comment about Ottawa, which, if you're not following hockey closely, you have no idea what he's talking about.
0: Which, by the way, and no one follows hockey. I mean, I'm sorry if people here are listening, are fans. Some of you are in Canada, wherever. But like, I see the ratings of regular season NHL games. They're dog shit. Okay. Anyway, sure,
1: sure. It's so it's like, I, in the but I'm this is going to get into the MJF thing too. I had a big problem with the way they structured at the beginning of the show because I think we were all waiting for MJF to interrupt him and, and, and to get the big moment. And instead, Punk just shits on him in Long Island and then he's done and he just walks out and it was just kind of a flat ending. I, I don't think I disagree that it was Punk's worst ever promo. It it just I, I it mean, just you, you digra- cannot
0: think of one off the top of your head that was worse.
1: That's what I mean. No, but I, I I don't think of bad promos. They just go in and out. I don't. I generally forget about them. I just can't like ever a, remember him being like a lucha a,
0: thing. But I just you're right. I just can't even remember him being a bad promo. Like I can't remember a scenario where I was like, "Oh man, CM Punk did this." I'm here to stay. Make, make a make a, uh, a good good lucha lucha thing. God. <laughs> this was. I mean, this wasn't that, but it was. Very meandering and not good. And the, po- the point the that you made that's the best is that if MJF came out while he was talking, the roof would have blown off that place. What yes. they did with MJF, we'll talk about it in a second. It was still great, don't get me wrong. But if he had interrupted him, that's the pop you want. It's the same mm-hmm. pop as when Chris Jericho interrupts The Rock. When he's talking, like, oh my God, like, this is the moment that I want. I want to cheer this guy instead of that guy. They never juxtapose them and right. they did it in every other spot that they've had yes. confrontation I, so far.
1: Uh, yes. And I, I get that MJF is the heel. So you can't totally make him look like a face, but CM Punk insulted the hell out of him personally. And MJF didn't respond. Right. To do it. And then he just comes out in the next segment. I, I That's where that juxtaposition I think is a real problem and makes him look Kinda cowardly, and I know he is because he's the heel, but you also have CM Punk healing off of the crowd. You can make MJF the conquering hero in certain ways, uh, in in rel- relative to the punk thing. So right. you know, punk coming out to MJF's music, huge booze, crowd was hot. He just you gotta I don't know how long that opening was, eight minutes, ten minutes. You gotta cut off like three minutes of that thing because cause the crowd was just chanting shut the F up at him because they were getting kind of annoyed. It it just it wasn't going anywhere and there was no interruption. And so I I don't think it was the worst thing. I think it started off great. They just didn't structure it well. And it was and and that hurt.
0: it. It's the concern that there is with letting people go by the seat of their pants. Right. Like in WWE, everything's overly scripted. It's too tight. There's not enough room for um, improv and interpretation. With AEW, it's much looser. So if something doesn't work or it's falling flat, they can't just get out of it, right? Like you have to really use your own head to figure out how to turn that around. And he did not do that. Now, okay, as much as I totally disliked the CM Punk opening, I felt the exact opposite way for what came next. The next segment with MJF rolling up to his high school in the white Porsche (laughs) and putting on his Plainview high school football Letterman jacket, And there's a voiceover in the back of it, running off all of his high school accomplishments. It starts with football. Then it goes to like acapella, pulling chicks, all that type of stuff. It was maybe AEW's best vignette yet, okay? MJF was also great. After that, he made his entrance. And at first, like he knew he was getting cheered, but he was like, am I going to indulge it or am I not going to indulge it? And he sees like crowd members like really cheering for him. So he runs over to the barricade. And they swarm him. And then he runs over to the other barricade and they swarm him. It was such a cool way to introduce a hometown guy. And I just want to really shout out him and AEW. Um, Not just for this, we're going to talk about the match and what happened in the match. MJF in the first 30 minutes of AEW was as big of a star as he's ever been. And this is a guy who's feuded with Cody, who's feuded with Chris Jericho, but in his hometown and doing the things he did so we'll talk about the match. We'll talk about what happened in the post match. It was as good of a wrestling um, presentation as I've ever seen him give.
1: I, I was really excited about MJF in Long Island for the show. Like that's a big reason I watched Dynamite live last night was because they had built it up for weeks, and MJF's always talking about he's from Long Island and. They're good. they're gonna be there soon. They're gonna be there in a few weeks. He's they're building and building and building into it. So this wasn't a you know a special you know episode pay per view type episode, but that was a factor that everybody was looking forward to. And you got it with that crowd reaction. Like they, they they set it up for him to get that hero's reaction. They they conditioned the fans to do it, and it was just excellently laid out. And well done, and that's exactly what you want from someone returning home, especially at a place that AEW hasn't been before. So that was awesome, and yeah, like you said, it, it made him look as big of a star as he's ever looked,
0: and and that was really really well done. Yeah, it was great. So the next segment was the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. The idea being the final two people left at the end of the Battle Royal, we wouldn't get a single winner; you get two. They fight next week at Winter Is Coming. The winner gets the Dynamite Diamond Ring, which still to this day means absolutely nothing, but to this point MJF's had it for two years. So Matt Hardy used brass knuckles to eliminate Jay Lethal, Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs squared off. Leo Rush kicked Hobbs out. MJF hit on the ring apron for most of the match. And then he dumped out Rush, Lee Johnson, Adam Wardlow all at once by tipping their legs. And Wardlow was pissed. MJF actually looked apologetic in the moment where normally he wouldn't. He would just be like, he'd brush it off and it wouldn't really matter. But it does continue that kind of development of animosity between them. MJF dodged Frankie Kazarian over the ropes, leaving Ricky Starks and Dante Martin along with MJF left. And then Dante immediately threw Starks out with MJF and Martin advancing into the match for the Diamond Ring next week. MJF then shook Martin's hand, Starks attacked, and this was the best part of the entire match. So MJF starts walking up the ramp and he conf- he looks back and he's conflicted. He's like, oh man, I should really help da- this guy, Dante Martin. Like he's getting his ass kicked and he helped me get to the final two in this match but I'm an asshole. I can't do that. Right. And he does it two times. He does it a third time at the top of the ramp. When it finally flicks in his head, I got to come save him. He runs all the way down to the ring. He stands face to face with Ricky Starks. And then they both beat the shit out of Dante Martin. Uh, And it ends with CM Punk at the very end, running in to make the save. And he hits the GTS to Starks to kind of end the whole thing. This was amazing. Okay. Okay. I loved how they tied two different storylines together and also made you legitimately believe, at least they made me believe as a viewer, a face turn in that moment was possible. In that moment, if they wanted to, they could have turned MJF face and they could have turned CM Punk heel. They could have done a double turn, but they didn't. They swerved us. They, they went one way. They took the steering wheel. They swerved us all the way back in the opposite direction. That's great booking, storytelling, and amazing character work by MJF. He can really do it all. I don't even have more analysis than that, Chris. It was just perfect. Period.
1: The, the MJF bit that the finish, the end of that was was great. 100%. Um, some other things, AEW Battle Royals continue to feel like an absolute mess. Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like everybody's trying to do the special thing at the same time. And the cameras constantly miss. Things the first time MJF went out of the ring at the very beginning and Sean Spears saved him completely missed by the camera and and it, it's it's very distracting because it's like say what you will about WWE overproducing things but they clearly set things up in their battle royals and it it, it works out I think AEW still has a problem I think with these with these battle royals um, the way it ended. Uh, you know Dante Martin turning on Team Taz and whatever it was a little convoluted there was a lot going on at once i think but overall it worked the mjf the save the crowd popped huge for that and then it made sense for him to beat up dante martin because he he's fighting him next week so 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 that made complete sense my my only overall issue and this ties back into the first thing is that we didn't get a an mjf promo on this whole show. They yeah. Right. Well, off, we so got, I'm missing something. We got the vignette, though, which put him over. So, you no, know, but how, how do we not get? This is the same problem I had when they did the Queen show. Yeah. How do you not get MJF on the mic? The thing he is the best at in front of the people who love him to yeah. just talk about it and whether that was going fa- facing off against punk, whether that was something in, in the show. I don't know. But the vignette was great. Everything they did with him was great. I just don't understand how you don't give him that. Moment of on the mic, crowd chanting MJF. He's taking it in, and he talks about how great Plainview is. Like I just, it feels like a complete dropping of the ball to not to to not have that moment. I mean, I mean, you only had him do the running. You had him kind of act heelish in the Battle Royal. It was all great. It just, it felt like it it missed that that big moment. And again. He looks pretty weak for completely ignoring everything CM Punk said about him and then immediately coming out for the next segment. Like, it's just, it, it was weird. So I, I loved what they did with him. I'm just really surprised now. Two shows in New York, they don't even put him on the mic. Well, not just
0: him. The The Queen show, they didn't, like, feature um, Pride and pa- PNP uh, or Santana Ortiz, mm-hmm. where we thought they were going to. They did feature Eddie Kingston, though, I think, on that show, if memory serves. But, you know, that's fair. I mean, I think it's a legitimate criticism that this guy did not cut a promo. Now they did tape Rampage um, immediately after. Maybe he got a chance to do something on Rampage. Maybe. He came back out. I, I don't know. I don't read the spoilers and stuff. So if he did that, I think that makes up for it. But yeah, I think it's a really good point. Like maybe after the match or like, don't you, you guys know better? Like a Long Islander would never help him and then throws the mic at the very end and gets a huge pop. There, there's definitely something he could have done. I think the better point is that he didn't confront CM Punk. Um, I would have liked Punk, like, in the ring. He gets shut up by the video. They play the whole video. Then MJF <laughs> makes his entrance. He gets cheered while Punk's getting booed. Says two lines. Punk walks out and the whole thing. And then the match starts. Yeah. So, like, there's a way they could have put it all together. Um, I think you're you're maybe being slightly heavy-handed on the criticism in this part because it was so well done. And No, it was. It Would it have been better I- if he spoke? Yes, it would have been better. I just, sure. it seemed like it seems like a
1: layup to me. I, I'm just surprised they didn't do that thing. Like, just give him the mic. Like, that's his whole thing. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. I mean, he that was out thing, there like, though, for a long, he was out there for a long he, ass time, though.
1: He was, he was. He yeah. got plenty of shine. I'm not saying anything they did with him was wrong or, or, or bad. I, I liked it. I just, yeah, yeah. I'm just surprised that they didn't give him the mic in front of the crowd to, to take it all in. Like, we've had CM Punk, MJF go back and forth a bit the past few weeks to then not do that. In Long Island,
0: just a little strange. Uh, one note I have that you didn't mention is, OK, so Dante Martin literally signed a contract with Team Taz. So what's yes. the point of doing a contract if you can just turn on them and screw them over <laughs> two weeks later? Like, why sign a contract if you're just playing the group in the first place? They could have just had him side with them um, and do an attack on Leo or throw a drink in Leo's face or rip up a contract that Leo offered him. Instead of having him sign with a group and then just being able to immediately turn on them. It's like, remember, like when Daniel Bryan joined the Wyatt family, well, he didn't sign a contract with them. He just joined them and then he didn't. Like it was very easy to get out of that, right? This, that's a huge flaw. It's a massive plot hole as far as I'm concerned. So I just felt that I would mention that before we move on. Uh, yeah,
1: I don't know what the I don't know if the contract means he's not allowed to strike team tasks. I don't even know what the contract means, but if you're going to have a contract, that's
0: what was the purpose the, of the it de- if you're, the de- you just de- turn on the
1: details thing. are the
0: yeah, the details are the point. Right, like the storyline should be oh, well you know you did sign with us, so now we get 10% of all your earnings. Like there should at least be something in there where he's restricted from doing something. He signed away some rights. What's the point in signing with the group if that's not the case? So, anyway. Um like like for example, if Matt Hardy and the HFO Like when um, a a private party signed with him, they literally signed the whole, it was all monetary. The whole point of it was that Matt was going to manage them and help their careers and take a percentage of their profits. Like that was the whole point of it. So what was the point of doing it here? I don't really have the answer to that. All right, let's keep going with the rest of AEW. Dynamite, the main event was Brian Danielson versus John Silver. Silver got Brian in an e-bar. He wouldn't let go while being stomped. Brian gouged the eyes, hit a rolling elbow and pounded Silver's head. Brian hit a gotch pile driver and submitted silver with like an inverted rings of Saturn kind of move or something like that. I'm not sure really how to describe it. Uh, after it was over, Brian grabbed the mic, realized he didn't kick silver's head in, and he said like, he promised he was going to do it to everyone in Dark Order. So then he starts kicking his head in. Hangman Page makes the save, and that was really about it. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but I thought Brian and silver would be a much better match than it was. Maybe the point was for Danielson to dominate him because. Why would you struggle with silver and then go ahead and, you know, struggle and fight Page and think that you could win? Although Danielson struggled with Colt Cabana a couple of weeks ago. And that match went way longer and was actually better than this. So I don't know. It just for me, it didn't pick up the intensity of what's going to be a main event for a special show. Winter is coming next week. It was not a good go home moment by any means. And to quote MJF, since we're giving him so much respect, it was very mid.
1: Yeah, Um Pretty much that right there. If this is supposed to be the go home segment to the to the um Brian Hangman, yeah. it it kind of we haven't seen a lot of Hangman really since he won the title. It, it's it's been a bit strange. This is certainly not you know the era of Hangman or anything like that. It's still just kind of basic wrestling stuff happening so um it, it was fine sir i him going through the dark order i i got it it made sense i just feel like it maybe could have been given more time outside of the ring whether it's backstage stuff or promos or or, or whatever it just kind of happened all right he's doing each one cuts a promo after beating silver and it's done um
0: so the hangman's kind of just there like this champion yeah Champions barely just, on the show,
1: you know, that's that. That's why I'm very like, if he's your champion, he's your face of the company. Now he's got to be like front and center every you
0: know, yeah. dynamite. At least Jer- like that, Jericho true. was all over it. Omega was all over it. Mox was there almost every single week. Like, mm-hmm. hey, man, you barely see him. It's weird. Um, yeah. All right. Very we'll move, so over on Rampage, we had a TNT championship match. Tony Sammy Guevara against Tony Nice. Sammy hit a springboard cutter and later a standing Spanish five for near falls Then he did a springboard moonsault. Nice got a 450 splash for a 2.5. There was a bunch of back and forth action. Sammy finally hit the GTH for the win. It was a 15 minute match. It was entertaining. It just felt to me like it was spot after spot. And there was never really a doubt that Sammy would retain. I went 3.5 stars in a B, but I just didn't find it to be that special. Now over on Dynamite, Cody Rhodes interrupted before Sammy could answer an interview question, like almost every AEW interview, saying Tony Khan granted him a TNT title match at the Christmas show. They shook hands. Cody then took a step towards the heel tunnel. He pivoted. He went through the face tunnel, which was a nice touch, obviously. Um, Men of the Year then cut a promo from the crowd about how they had to jump through hoops to get title matches. And they made a big deal that Dan Lambert was coming back. So this thing went like in the complete opposite direction that I wanted it to go. The Cody about face thing that he did, that was fun. But giving him another TNT title match just to get him into something significant on the Christmas show is just eye-rolling. If he loses completely clean and puts Sammy over, I'm gonna be okay with it, ultimately. Because that's a big win for Sammy if he gets it. But if he wins the title or it's some bullshit, I'm just really not gonna be happy about it. As far as the men of the year thing goes, I get, I guess, what they're going for trying to get Scorpio Sky into a TNT title match. But they have become grating to listen to. And this was a team I was really really bullish about when it first formed. And if Lambert really is coming back and he's coming back soon, that is absolutely horrific. So, I mean, I don't know. You give your thoughts on this entire thing, but I I don't know. I'm not that enthusiastic about
1: it. This is just kind of with the the men of the year thing. This is where things kind of feel static, like they're not changing. Like, for all the talk about AEW not doing rematches, they've been doing some more rematches, but also just keeping kind of the same gimmicks and stories going on and on and on and on. I, I like Men of the Year, Ethan Page, and Scorpio Sky, but like they've been the same dudes for like six months now and still just relying on Dan Lambert. And if Dan Lambert, I, I, I liked a lot of what Dan Lambert did, but he also, I, Just I think we he did it too much. We saw him too much. And then he didn't even get put through a table in the final match. (laughs) So in the end, what did it all mean? It all meant nothing. So this is where, again, just kind of largely with AEW, like the wrestling is great. But we need some some deeper. We need some deeper things than just than just that. So, um, yeah, with the Cody thing. Obviously, he's doing the heel face, whatever, towing with the crowd thing. I don't really know. He feels kind of like he's just floating out there doing whatever since he's not in the title picture. Like he is clearly a star and carries himself like a star more than pretty much anybody on that company, I think. But like, who is he right now? I I, I don't know. He he had the the Aaron Anderson stuff a while back. He's just kind of floating out there. I don't really know what direction a lot of people are going in right now.
0: Yeah, it's um, definitely a strange situation. Cody kind of just feels like he's floating out there. I do agree with that. Uh, on Rampage, I'm going to take this one. Uh, FTR fought Penta, L Zero M, and Pac. FTR had a really good backbreaker elbow drop. Pac got a shotgun dropkick on Dax Harwood. Penta started his hot tag with a Casador into a rolling DDT. He also hit a really cool corkscrew code red for a near fall. Dax hit a double underhook tiger driver for another near fall. Dax sold an injured knee to distract the referee. So Malachi Black could run down, spit a gallon of black mist in Pac's other eye, and let FTR fold them up for the win. FTR then ripped off Penta's mask as Black tried to blind uh, as Black tried to blind Pack. Sorry. Lots of similar stuff there. So this match was fire. Like it was an absolute banger. But the ending, at least for me, it was so bad and lackluster. Like all of this mist. And it hasn't meant shit. Now, maybe it's going to start meaning something like we've kind of theorized on the show. Maybe Pac will actually join this house of black group that could possibly exist. I think he would fit perfectly, right? But man, this just this finish soiled for me what I thought was a super fun match. I was in the four-star range. I had to downgrade it a little bit to 3.75 stars on a, and a B+. And then on Dynamite, Tully Blanchard and FTR FTR said they're the greatest tag team of all time. And when they beat the Lucha Bros on Rampage, they will become the first two-time AEW tag team champions. As I've said before, we have seen this match and versions of this match like 10 times now. It's WWE rematch city at this point. I have no doubt that the match is going to be very good, but I I just have to hope this entire thing finally ends at this point.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just again, this is where I kind of talk about everything. Everybody kind of just feels like they're in the same place and not going anywhere. Like I love FTR. I love everybody involved in this, but like, like what do we, What like, what is the goal here? What, what What is the, what are we trying to get to? Who are we trying to get over? Like at some point, you know, AW just, it has to be more than just here's a matchup we haven't seen before, or here's a fun match. Like we, we got to, you got to start kind of, I think, Tearing, tier tiering uh, kind of a hierarchy of, of people here. We're just getting different people every week. Nobody feels like they matter more than the other person, which in some ways is good, especially with the way WWE treats its mid card and lower card. Right. But like right. everybody kind of feels the same in AEW. And I don't, in I think that holds everybody down. Some stuff has to feel bigger than the others. The, the MJFC and punk stuff for sure. But like, I just I don't really know where
0: we're going with this again. It's just the repetitiveness of it is, has just really gotten to me. And I realize there's been some extenuating circumstances, but they just shouldn't have had that match last week on Rampage. Just wait, wait. Yeah, Phoenix can't make it. Do it the next week. Like, don't do a, a same match with three of the four people in it mm-hmm. and just to kind of prolong the storyline. Uh, since I mentioned Malachi Black, later on Dynamite, Varsity Blondes and Julia Hart were set for an interview. When Black showed up, stood there for a moment. The guys did nothing. And then he sprayed like a very light black mist in her face as she screamed. This was super random. And it does feel <laughs> like maybe now they're tr- they are trying to build a faction or a group through the mist, black corrupting people with the mist. But again, I thought they were going to do that with Cody and nothing happened. I think, maybe I'm wrong. I think he misted Arn Anderson also. If he did, nothing happened to Arn. So I don't want to, like, give the benefit of the doubt here, because even if they do turn, let's say, Pac and Julia Hart and make them and create a faction and they join it, why didn't it it affect Cody the same way? Even if Cody's become a little bit more of a dick, he hasn't completely turned and joined Black's faction. So, oh, he also did it to Dante Martin, too. Dante Martin tweaked his character, but he's not a heel. He's not joining Aleister Black or uh, Malachi Black. So... I just don't get the point of it. It was random. Um, but this is a wait and see. Like, maybe they do something. If they do, it could be cool. Right now, they just keeps misting people and nothing happens.
1: Yeah, I, again, I don't know what kind of the point is of him. I realize we're being kind of negative on AW. for this Well, for, I wasn't. I started, very
0: po- I started very we, positive. We, it
1: was very positive to start. This is what we said. The middle of the show, everything was just very, very strange. Um, yeah, I, I. I don't know why... Malachi Black is supposed to be kind of like a supernatural type of thing, but he's too often put in these like situations where it feels like like Memphis wrestling or something like that. like don't have him come out during an interview and do that. have him like surprise somebody backstage or something like that. do something like cinematic you know like when when he was doing those vignettes before he you know arrived and stuff like that, not just showing up on the front of the stage and missing somebody and. I, I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot more they could do with him. And instead he just kind of feels like wrestler. And, and like you said, with all the mist that's going on, I don't know if it means anything. I'm just like, all right. Okay. That was weird. <laughs> that's it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm really not trying to be super negative on a, on AEW this week. I'm not, it's just like, I do have a, a I'll tell you guys, I got a market zero and a 0.0 coming up. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of like messiness, little str- kind of strange stuff. Let- let's move something a little bit more positive. Um, the Young Bucks fought Chuck Taylor and Rocky M- Romero. Yes. Yes. Positive Young Bucks. I- positive. Can you believe it? This is gonna Can be you believe it? The Silver Kings about to be positive. So <laughs> uh, Romero hit a great tornado DDT after taking a pair of Northern Light suplexes. Orange Cassidy jumped in to do his comedy kicks. Then there were four super kicks. Brandon Cutler accidentally put cold spray and match acts in space. That led to a near fall. Romero got a 2.9 on a backslide. Matt then countered Romero's pump handle into a tombstone for a Melcher driver and the win. So right, right off the bat, let me just say, it is a little annoying the Young Bucks never lose. Like, he got missed it in the face. Uh, he got kicked. Like, there's, you know, there was an excuse there and they still didn't lose. But okay, uh, after that, Adam Cole attacked Orange and then they killed Wheeler Yuta. Cole finished Orange with a Panama Sunrise. They went for the BTE trigger. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, same shit every week. Like I was rolling my eyes. I was ready to get negative. When suddenly Sue drives her white van out and Trent Beretta jumps out. He kisses her. He runs down. He takes out all four members of the super click. The guy looked like a million bucks. He had a shaved head. He looked completely ripped. Like when he coming back from spinal surgery, best friends all hugged him. Then Sue and Chris Statlander came in. They got hugs also. It was a lot of fun. The match started slow. It almost felt like it was a time filler for the show, but it really picked up in the finish and became exciting. One thing that always bothers me is when you do a return like this, and that means the guy's backstage. He's there, right? Like he's available and he's watching his friends get their asses kicked. But it's not until that very last ass kicking where it just goes so overboard where he has to run in and make the save. That is not an AEW criticism. It is not a Trent criticism. It is a wrestling criticism. Every single company does that. If you're backstage and you see your friend starting to get beat up, that's when you should run out. Not after they've already had their asses kicked. So that's a, that's a general criticism. But this segment, it ended up being very entertaining. And then at the very end, endearing as well. And I love Sue, Trent, the whole relationship. I mean, obviously mother and son, but I mean, you know, the way they play it out on TV with best friends, the whole thing really worked for me. Love it is. Also, your point about not showing up
1: until the end of the beatdown... Of all the times, this is the one that had an excuse because they were driving to the arena. Okay, <laughs> they just but come on. We know, to we know the they truth. Just happened to, they just happened to show up Just in Cape, maybe. That's when he showed up. But what, what's, he, what's he, he be-
0: watching it on his phone? He, like, he has no, a video stream of TNT on his phone? Maybe he, got, he's- he,
1: he, maybe he was planning to get there earlier and he got stuck in traffic or something like that. I, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, uh, I, I love Tremper. I always love his look. I love. I just love everything about him, and Best Friends has really missed him. So, I, you know, he got the back surgery. I hope he's doing okay. I hope everything is good to go because, um, you know, the I love everybody involved in this whole group, but it's been missing something without him. And they do the, you know, the Rapungi Vice theme with him and Ricky Romero at the end, which took a while for uh, uh, them to kind of acknowledge that that was playing. But, yeah, this was great. I, I love this. this is the exact kind of fun, sports, entertaining type mm-hmm. of stuff. That was really great in the early days of AEW, but Trent's been injured a lot, and so it's kind of come and gone. Um, So awesome to see him back. Love this.
0: Yeah, completely agree with that. Uh, So on Dynamite, we had Jurassic Express and Varsity Blondes against the Acclaimed in 2.0. On Rampage, Christian Cage cut a promo, almost like he is now the manager of Jurassic Express, saying it was his goal to make sure they became tag team champions. Eddie Kingston also cut a promo in a stairwell, saying he didn't care that 2.0 attacked Chris Jericho, only that they attacked him and that they'd reap what they sow. And both of those have to do with this match, which is why I brought them up. Uh, Kingston ran down to stop Danny Garcia from interfering. Jungle Boy avoided a mic drop from Caster and locked him in the snare trap for the submission win. The match was nothing even worth talking about. Kingston brought a camera with him backstage, and then he starts yelling into the camera randomly. But there's no microphone, so he can't hear a word that he's saying. And then Ortiz is there who has no relation to Kingston other than, other than both of them being New Yorkers. Trying to stop him from yelling and being aggressive, it didn't make a shred of sense. And then 2.0 and Garcia attack both of them and beat them down. So now these low carters, who by the way, are much less tough than Kingston and Chris Jericho and Ortiz, have now beat the shit out of Jericho, Kingston and Ortiz in consecutive weeks. What the shit is this? Like, this completely fell flat for me, and I couldn't believe, I can't believe, that AEW cannot find something better to do with Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho than a feud with 2.0 and Danny Garcia. And zero. Yeah,
1: I, I i assume we were supposed to hear Kingston, and just the camera audio wasn't working. I was waiting for it to come on. I'm like waiting, 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 and just, no, nah, it's just silence. Assuming that we were supposed to hear him, that's another knock against A.W.'s production, which is like just absolute confusion over what we're supposed to be watching and what we're supposed to be taking away from the segment. Um, this whole thing was just weird. Just, it was extremely weird. The, t- the, the, the the tag match with everybody involved was just another kind of one of those get a bunch of people together and do some stuff. It happens and you completely forget about it as soon as it's over. Um Christian is another guy who's just floating out there. I guess, like you said, maybe he's the manager now. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's fine. Otherwise, no, no. But you, you have an eight man
0: match. Just to mention what you said, I'll let you continue. You have an eight man yeah. match. Three of the teams I don't care about. That's a problem.
1: Yeah, uh, I just whatever. So and then then the the whole thing was just weird. Everything about this is weird. And then the end, the silence, and the beat down, and just absolute confusion. Strange.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. I did a little sandwich here. Bad, good, bad, good. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, on Dynamite, Jamie Hader fought Rio. Uh, this was back in the normal spot for the women on the show. Hader kicked Rio's ass for a long time. Britt Baker, by the way, got into it with some fans outside. I have no idea what that was about. And I really wish someone would tell me because it was like, it seemed serious. And then she was talking to Rebel about it at ringside for like five minutes. It was really, really weird. Um, but anyway, back to the match. Hader kicked out of a dragon suplex. Rio kicked out of a brain buster and chokeslam backbreaker. Hater kicked out of a co- really cool co-red and a coup de gras. Rio then hit an avalanche crucifix bomb and running knee for the win. And Baker attacked after the match because there's always a post-match attack in AEW. But I thought this was a fantastic match. It got plenty of time despite the double commercial break. So they did that where it's a PIP and then they did, you know, the regular long commercial break. But when they came back in the past, the women's matches would only get like one minute, two minutes after that, and then it would be over. Here, they, it seemed like they got another five or seven minutes after the commercial. The goal of this whole thing was to make Rio into a legitimate number one contender again. And I believe it worked, but it also did feel like in parts it was a little bit too indulgent and probably should have ended like three or four minutes earlier than, than it did. There were so many kickouts and false finishes. You didn't need to go to that length. But I think Jamie Hayter's is doing a great job She's like an unsung hero, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. of the women's division. And this was my favorite number one AEW match of the entire week, male, female uh, tag team singles. This was my favorite match. 3.75 stars and a B plus.
1: Yeah, no, I really like this match. It, it was a lot of fun. Jamie Hader, like I was going to say, it too, but she she is great. She She is awesome and continues to get better and better and hopefully gets the push up to that top level at some point. So this this was good. This was good. I'm not the biggest Rio fan, but yes, yeah, I mean, you know, anyway. everybody kind of has, has their own opinions on it, but, um, you know, it did what it needed to do. It set it up for, for the title feud. And, uh, again, this was something that knew, this was something that had a direction, had a point, knew what it wanted to accomplish. And it did, and it moved something forward. And that's, that's something we don't get enough in AEW. So this was very well done.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now on Rampage, I'm going to go back to the opposite. I told you just a little bit of a sandwich here. We had Jade Cargill against Janaya Kai, I think is what her name was. Uh, Thunder Rosa was on commentary. This jobber had one of the strangest looks that I have ever seen from a wrestler. Male, female, doesn't matter. Cargill won with Jaded in about, I guess, 30 seconds or so. Uh, She attacked after the bell and that led because there's always an attack after the bell, uh, leading Rosa down to dodge a kick. They both threw really bad punches at each other. I don't really mind squash matches, but not in the middle of a tournament and not when it's the only match on your entire show. I thought this was just absolute dog shit. Zero point zero. And then on Dynamite, they had dueling promos where they magically know what each other's is saying. Um, and Jade said TBS stands for that bitch show which just come on like like i think jade has a future i, I think that she's talented and clearly athletic and, and has the look but they really do not do her any favors with the way they book her it does not work for me i know you didn't see on rampage but do you have anything in general to say about this or no
1: uh no I, i'm a big fan of jade i think she's got a lot of potential i think some of some ways she's been booked Less so, some better. But this, I mean, the idea of Jade Cargill versus Thunder Rose's student and she beats her up, it was, it was, oh, I I get the concept of it and and I'm, I'm good with that. I, you know, that makes more sense to me than, you know, an eight man tag for no reason. I didn't even catch that she was her student. I, I didn't even catch that. Yes. Yeah, and they and I and then they made that. I don't know if they, I don't know if they said it on Dynamite on Rampage or not, but on Dynamite they it was in the promo. That was the idea that oh, the student, the got student, it. the student knows everything that Thunder Rosa does, and if Jade beat her, she can clearly beat Thunder Rosa because it's the same thing. That that was the idea that they were trying gotcha. to get across. Gotcha. So, um, so I I think that worked fine enough in terms of telling the story.
0: I missed it, but maybe it was just the shortness of it. The fact that it was the only women's match that it was a mm-hmm. squash. There was another post-match attack, like there always is. Just the whole thing. It just, it really didn't work for me. Uh, And then lastly on Dynamite, the Bunny and Penelope Ford made fun of Ruby Soho for not having any friends, saying they challenged her to a six-woman tag match on Rampage. Ruby swung, Nyla kicked her ass, and then Ty Conti and Anna Jay made the save with a chair. Very fine, very standard. Um, Am I looking forward to the match? No, I'm not looking forward to the match. Not, Not anti the match, just doesn't really get me excited for it. I the, the,
1: I the way the bad the women's backstage promos interviews have been very bad for a long <laughs> yeah, time forever. And they keep doing stuff like you don't have friends or whatever. And it's just extremely weird. I never really know what the bunny's going for. But,
0: um, you know, I like the people involved. So we'll see. OK, so uh, real quick, just a quick overview of Winter is Coming, since you are going to the show. It's in Texas. Um, and since I will be watching the show and it's a special event, I'll be watching it from home in Florida. Uh, but there's three key matches, I think. Uh, best of my recollection that are on it. Serena D versus Hikaru Shida is the first. Definitely looking forward to this. It has been a, one of one of AEW's, in fact, maybe AEW's best women's extended series. I think that we've gotten to this point. Two of the best wrestlers in the company. I do expect Shida, the baby face, to come out on top uh, when all is said and done.
1: Yes, me too. This this has been fun. And that first match they I had was great. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to this. It, this is something that, you know, I, I think with AEW, like I wish AEW had the TV time that WWE did. Almost that it was reversed because it feels like AEW has too much going on. And so th- some things just get only get a passing mention, you know, and, and this was one of them on the if you want to call it a go home dynamite. Yeah,
0: they barely uh, yeah, they barely talked about it, right?
1: We we just got we just got a video package and that was it. Which it was a good video package, but like I just would like to see more of it. But we it
0: just fit it in a million other things. It feels like it's been 2 or 3 weeks since it's even been mentioned, like right. it kind of just came out of nowhere again. But yeah, but as far as a match goes, should be a really good match. We also have the diamond dynamite diamond ring on the line, MJF against Dante Martin. You know, are there scenarios I can create in which MJF doesn't win Wardlow getting pissed off uh, CM Punk interfering. Yes, I can come up with them. But I think given the people that are involved in this match, Dante having the ring, I I don't know what that does. So I think MJF wins it, He gets the ring for the third straight year. And then next year, there's a scenario where he finally loses it. And the person that that beats him for it um, is significant or maybe He loses the ability to compete in the battle royal and therefore someone else just is able to win it. But as of right now, as far as I'm concerned, it's an MJF gimmick and giving it to someone else. I just don't think makes sense, especially Dante Martin.
1: Yeah, I agree. The the only thing I can think of is if CM Punk is going to kind of try to distract him in a way to cost him it to try to add some more heat to, to Punk MJF. Maybe, although maybe. AEW doesn't typically do those finishes. Right. And yeah, if Dante Martin has the ring, I don't know. What's Is he going to do that to buy out his contract? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> if the contract matters, I don't know. Well, you know but, what? Um, if, if this
0: was Leo Rush instead, I could say, you know what? Leo could rock that ring and cut promos. Oh yeah, It would make a lot of sense for him to have it. Uh, there's other characters in, in AEW, I think, where it would work. Dante is not one of them for me. Yeah. And then lastly, the AEW World Championship Hangman page against Brian Danielson. This was a spot that was originally supposed to be for Jon Moxley. I think Brian's doing great work in this heel turn. He's been fantastic. Um, the storyline has been mediocre, but not in, not mediocre in a way where I have really criticized it. I find it to be entertaining, and I think it's doing a good job painting Hangman as the face. But taking the title off Page after a month. I mean, no way. So Hangman's going to win and retain the title. And I think it'll be cool for Danielson to take a really key loss in putting Hangman Page over. That really should be the point of this match.
1: Yes, absolutely. Pick his Hangman. Again, just kind of wish we'd seen him more. I mean, Dan O'Brien made the point about a fighting champion, and he was he's kind of been right. <laughs> so I don't know. I think this is going to be an awesome match, though. Really looking forward to it. And, and yeah, the pick is definitely hangman.
0: All right. Well, that is it from this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We had our WWE show on Tuesday. Make sure to listen to that if you have not already. Vintage Chris Vanini joined me for that. He also, of course, joined me today to talk uh, Jeff Hardy's release from WWE. Johnny Gargano's uh, farewell statement or, or his address of his future, I should say, uh, on NXT. And mjf's big time starring role at least we believe uh in aew dynamite ahead of winter is coming i appreciate all of you listening to the show we will be back on tuesday with our next wwe episode of course we'll be back two days later on thursday talking aew and nxt with a full uh analysis of winter is coming that'll be certainly exciting big show coming up and really, not much left here. Just a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast all about So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcast, leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love the show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. The Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. Oh, the meaties.
1: God damn <laughs> I thought, I, w- I, I keep thinking you're going to say it. I didn't realize you're setting it up for right. me.
0: <laughs> AKA The Meaties. Yes, I'm t- two shows in a row. I'm setting it up for you. Uh, Getting Over Awards, AKA The Meaties, will be. Uh, out before the year is up the goal right now is to publish them the final week of 2021 and by following us on twitter at getting overcast you guys get to nominate and vote in the award so it's very important to follow us once again on twitter at getting overcast. Overcast. So for vintage Chris Minini, who does not know where Hey Now comes from and cannot tell when I am, uh, you know, setting him up to contribute to the show. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.